Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Merry Christmas to you. So good to see you guys. Woo! I'm back. <laughs> COVID can't keep a good man down. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. A couple of weeks ago, I, I had a hard time picking my head up, but God is good. And, and uh, so I've been outside of symptoms now for for more than a week, I spent 11 days in quarantine, went absolutely crazy with cabin fever, but God has restored me and I'm feeling great and excited to be with you. But I am isolating today just for your safety and just to make sure that we've got another uh, season or two to make sure that we're, we're clear. Anyway, glad that you're here, thrilled that you're here. It's a great time of year. We always love this time of year. It's an opportunity to gain so much. I'm told the average American gains about six pounds during this season. I don't know what your gain is. You've heard of quarantine. 15. I think I'm doing quarantine 58. I, got, I already got my diet planned for January. I don't know about you guys. Chance to, to get some gifts. Have you dropped enough hints to the people that you love to make sure they're getting you the right stuff? Come on, do your hints like this. No hints? No hint dropping? Come on. Uh, wives, your husbands need you to drop hints because they don't have a clue, okay? They don't have a clue. Sometimes I feel a little bit like the little boy, though, who, who, who wanted to watch for Christmas, and he kept telling his dad over and over and over again, Dad, you know, I want to watch, I want to watch. And he didn't think his dad was watching, was listening, and, and he wasn't sure that he was going to get that watch. So the, the last night before Christmas Eve, they're sitting down and they're having dinner, and the little boy says, I want to say grace tonight. And everybody went, well, you never say grace. Okay, if you want to. And everybody by your heads, let's all hold hands. And, and he said, uh, Lord Jesus... I want to use your words in our grace tonight from Mark chapter 13, verse 37. I tell you now what I've told you before, watch. <laughs> There's so much going on at Christmas season, it's impossible to miss the season. But the tragic reality is there's an awful lot of people who get the season, but they don't get the point of the season. Am I right? And it's tragic. It's heartbreaking for our Lord. It's heartbreaking for the reason. It's nothing new about that. That's been going on since the first year that Jesus uh, was born. Uh, and so we're just gonna, trying to make sure in the few weeks leading up to Christmas that we don't miss the point. Whether you're here in person, you're online, we want to make sure that we're not missing the point. And so week by week, we're talking about some of those first century characters who missed the point. Pastor Luke did a fabulous job last week of talking to us about some of those folks that missed the point. Today we'll be talking about some of those first century characters who got it and why they got it so that we can be sure to get it ourselves. So let me ask you now, um, if, I, if I got you to text me right now or email me right now, the point, what would you say? I mean, do you have the point? Do you know what the point is? Some people would say, well, Jesus is the reason for the season, and you'd be right, but it goes a little deeper than that. The point of Christmas uh, ultimately is that God knew from the very beginning of time when he created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, he knew they'd mess up. He knew they'd disobey. And some people now and then will say, well, if he knew they were going to disobey, why in the world did he make them? How many of your parents who have kids, how many of you knew your kids would disobey you eventually? Then why did you have some? Because you love them, and you want to reproduce yourself, and you want to have family. That's why. And so he knew we were going to mess up. And so what he did was to create a way from the very beginning of time that even though our sin would separate us from a holy God, 
there was a means by which we could reconnect because at the end of the day, he made us to be in relationship with him. So hear me, guys. The point is God wants a relationship with you. That's the point. And our sinfulness separates us from a holy God, but he's made a provision whereby we can have a relationship with him. So don't ever forget that the cradle and the cross are linked. Kim and I have a tradition that we've had for many years in our family, and it's, it's a spike. It's a nail. It's the first ornament that we put on the tree every year, and it goes right up against the, the trunk of the tree, and down in the midst of that is this nail, and it just reminds us that at the end of the day, the, 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 the cradle and the cross are linked. Jesus didn't come just to be born in a stable. He didn't come just to teach and preach and tell us good things. He didn't come for all, he did all that stuff, but, but he came so that we could have a relationship with God. And if you tune me out or you need to run, go do something else, get your Christmas shopping done before you leave, hear me. The point of Christmas is God wants a relationship with you. Not, not, a, not a busy ritual, keep the rules relationship, a real dynamic living, breathing relationship with you. He sent his son to make a way to be the way whereby we can have that relationship. And so when Jesus said in John chapter 14 that Pastor Luke mentioned to you last week, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what he was saying. I've come here for the purpose of establishing a way for you to have a relationship with God. Now, let's just be honest, guys. The second sentence of that verse has been controversial ever since he said it. And even now, you can find people, maybe some of you even listening to me right now, would say, well, you know, okay, Jesus, good, son of God, got it. But, but this, no one comes to the Father except through him. I mean, come on. I, there should be lots of ways to God. There should be lots of roads to God. Come on. I mean, I should be able to decide for myself how I get to God, right? Well, I'm sorry. It's his house. He gets to make the rules as to who comes in. But... Uh, but hear me, guys, while people have been arguing across the centuries about this, this idea that Jesus is the only way, truth, life, way to the Father, Jesus has just simply been standing across the generations saying consistently, I am the way. God loves you. Follow me. You can have a relationship with the God of the universe that will last forever. And since then... Across the ages, billions of people have committed their lives to Jesus Christ and in so doing have come to God through him. And every now and then someone will suggest that Christianity is kind of losing its steam and it's, it's not as effective a ministry as it once was and, and the faith is waning. Don't kid yourself, guys. The statistics don't bear that at all out. In fact, more people have come to the faith in Jesus Christ since World War II than in the 1900 years before World War II. 355,000 people give their lives to Christ somewhere on this planet every day. Christianity is exploding on the planet. Don't let anybody tell you different. The stats are true. They're real. People are coming to Christ. And yes, they're coming to Christ in Muslim countries, and they're coming to Christ in Buddhist countries. They're coming to Christ all over the world. The American church might be struggling a little bit right now. 
But we're praying that God will move in America too. My point simply is that I want you to have a relationship with God. It breaks God's heart when you don't have a relationship with him because everything changes when you establish that relationship with him. So in the few minutes I've got today, I'm trying not to keep you too long because I know it's a busy season. But I want to I just point out four characters from the first century who got it, that got the point, and we're still talking about them 2,000 years later, right? And, and then I want to turn them into role models, and I want to give you four commitments that I'm making during this season. I'm going to ask you to join me in making them simple but powerful, profound commitments that will help us to get, to get the point to get the point of Christmas. Of course, the four characters, some of you know the story, many of you know it better than I do perhaps, but, but the, the four characters we're talking about are Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men. I'm sure there were plenty more, but those are the four most prominent characters from that first century who got the point. Let, let me just point out why I think they got it and then the commitments that we're gonna make with them as role models. Is that worth a few minutes of our time? Okay, let's walk through that, okay? Uh, quickly as I can. Mary got it, I think, by contemplating. She got the point by contemplating. Why do you suppose God chose Mary? You ever thought about that? I mean, of all the young girls, of all the virgins that were living even in that region or anywhere in the world at that moment, why do you suppose God chose Mary? I mean, as teenagers scared to death, engaged to be married, poor. I mean, why? Why would he pick her? And I, th I think there could be lots of reasons. I mean, devotion to God's important, but there are probably lots of young uh, virgins that were dedicated to God at that time. Lineage was important, but there were lots of young girls that fit in the lineage uh, of David. And so th there's lots of reasons why it might have been her. So I think at the bottom, at the, the bottom line is that uh, he chose her because he knew how she'd respond to the message that the angel brought her. Luke chapter 1 tells us the angel came and, uh, and told her what was going to happen, and her immediate response was, I am the Lord's servant. That, that was her response to this amazing story. Let's be honest, guys. There were probably some other thoughts in her head while she's listening to this angel tell this amazing story. What are my parents going to think? What are people going to think? What is Joseph going to do? Will I be an outcast the rest of my life? She's bound to have had all those thoughts. I mean, she's human at the end of the day, but the bottom line is found in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, but Mary, what's the word? Treasured all these things and pondered them in her mind. What's the word treasure mean to you? Something that you value, something that you want to look for and find, and you'll commit your whole life to looking for it until you find it. And when you find it, you're excited. That's a treasure. What does ponder mean to you? It's more than giving it a passing thought. It's focus on, contemplate, engage in, rehearse over and over in your mind. And the Bible says, and I believe it's the reason why she got the point, is that Mary listened to what God had to say, paid attention to what he had to say through the angel. She reflected on what he had to say, and ultimately she responded to what he had to say. She may even have written it all down. I don't know. Historians tell us at the very least she's the one that told Luke the story who wrote it down, and that's why we have the story now. Mary got the point by contemplating. Joseph got the point, I think, by cooperating. I mean, why was Joseph 
one of the ones who got the point. I believe it's because he chose to cooperate with God's plan, no matter how far-fetched it may have sounded at the time. Let's be honest, guys. If, if, if your fiancé came to you one day and said, oh, by the way, <laughs> you're not going to believe this. I, on the way home from school today, I got pregnant. I, you know, this is kidding. It's the funniest thing. Yeah, how many of you would go, oh, that's nice, dear. Let's get married. <laughs> yeah, there would be a reaction. There would be a process that you'd have to go through to, to deal with this thing. But, but what did Joseph do? Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, I mean, the message came to him in a dream from an angel. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. He cooperated with God's plan. So Mary contemplated. Joseph cooperated. The, the shepherds got the point, I think, because they celebrated they celebrated. Of all the people who God could have chosen to be the first group to say the Savior is born, why did he pick the shepherds? I don't know if you know this, but the shepherds were not exactly high society. They were not actually famous kind of people. I mean, they were the kind of the low-end, lower-class, unskilled workers, lowest-paid kind of people. They smelled like sheep. I mean, they, 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 they watched sheep sleep for a living. I mean, that's, these are not exactly your mover-shakers in society. Why did God choose them? to hear that angelic chorus that night. And I think it's because he knew how they were, would respond. I think he knew that they would be excited about the, the news. God has come to earth. Salvation has come to mankind. Luke chapter 2, verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the babe who was lying in a manger. Verse 17, when they had seen him, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. They got excited. In fact, they got so excited, they went straight and found the baby and worshiped him. And as soon as they did that, they went right back out into the community and began to tell everybody who would listen about the exciting news that they heard they wanted everybody to know because they were excited. So let me ask you this. If you get good news, I mean, you get a promotion at work or you get a raise or, or you, you find out you're going to have a baby or, or, or your kids make honor roll. I mean, if you get really good news, who would you rather tell it to? Somebody that's going to go, yeah, that's nice. Or somebody's going to, wow, that is awesome. High five. Let's say, have you put it on Facebook yet? I mean, that's, that's, we want to tell our good news to somebody who's going to get excited about good news. Am I right? Um, can I tell you what scares me sometimes? When I think about our gatherings as worshipers, and I don't mean us specifically, but the body of Christ, God is scanning the earth to and fro, looking for hearts that are fully dedicated to him. And he comes across a worship service in eastern North Carolina or in western Virginia or in southern Texas or wherever. He just comes across a worship service and he looks at what we're doing, the songs we're singing and the reactions that we're making and the prayers that we're praying and the sermons that we're bringing and the high fives we're giving, air high fives these days. But still, and he sees what we're doing. You think maybe he every now and then says, that's all you got? I mean, after all I've done for you, that's, that's all the excitement you can bring to the table? 
That's all the energy you're going to put into it. That's all the creativity you're, you're going to give to this thing. i, I got to be honest with you. One of our goals here at the bridge is that nobody could ever say that about us. You may come to our service and you make, you know, get a deer in the headlights look and go, oh, man, when the drums kick in and the guitar goes wong, and you go, man, I've never been in church like this before. You may say that, but I hope you never go away from this saying, that was boring. Come on, because I think God's worthy of our best effort. I think he's worthy of our excitement. What he's done for us is worthy of our excitement. And when we express that excitement, he wants to give us good news because we all like to give good news to people who share the good news. You want good news? Be one of those kind of people. The psalmist wrote, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Mary contemplated and got the point. Joseph cooperated and got the point. The shepherds celebrated and got the point. The wise men, I believe, got the point by dedicating. This is important, by dedicating. The fact is, there are three common misconceptions about wise men. Let me tell you what they are. Some of you already know uh, these. You've heard them before, but it's, there's an important point I want to make as I share them with you. Number one, we don't really know if there were three wise men or not. We know there were three gifts. There may have been a larger company than that. But we just know there were three gifts. Uh, so don't get dogmatic about three wise men, okay? Second thing is they didn't make it the first night. They, they weren't there. I mean, the star was positioned uh, over Bethlehem when the baby was born, and, and the Bible tells us that they came. Anybody remember the phrase? They came from a, from a fire, which does not mean they were firemen. They did not come from afar. It means they lived a long ways off, okay? And they didn't have dune buggies that raced across the desert to get there, so it took a while to get there. In fact, some historians say it took as much as two years for them to get there, which is why Herod, when he got scared that somebody was going to usurp his throne, he had all the boys two years old and younger killed because he knew there was a lapse of time between the birth and the showing up of the wise men, so they weren't there. The third thing is they were not at the stables. I'm sorry, they were not at the stables. Mary and Joseph didn't hang out at the stables for two years waiting for the wise men to get there. So if you've got a nativity set at home and you've got Mary and Joseph and the baby and it's so sweet and you've got shepherds and you've got cows and donkeys and sheep in there and it's real cool. And then you've got the wise men standing there. Go home this afternoon and take your wise men. If they're on the mantle of your fireplace, move them over to the bookcase somewhere, okay? Keep them in the scene. Just kind of move them over a little bit. We like to be biblical around here. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, on coming to the stable. Is that what it says? No, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, or as the little boy called it, gold, frankenstein, and myrtle. And I tell you all of that because I think it's the reason they got the point. They were dedicated to finding the Savior. They didn't care what it took. They didn't care how long it took. They wanted to know him, and they wanted to worship him. And at the end of the day, if you really want to get the point of Christmas, then dedication is a piece of the equation. 
I believe these wise men got the point because they set their sights on seeing the Savior and they didn't give up no matter what came their way. But that was a couple thousand years ago. We're in 2020 now. What do we do to make sure we get the point? Well, there are role models. Let's just walk back through quickly and let's make some commitments, okay? You can do it silently. I'm not going to embarrass you in front of anybody, but, but I hope you'll join me because I'm making these commitments even as I prepared to share with you this week. I'm praying, Lord, help me to double down on these commitments in my own life because I think that's how we get the point at the end of the day. Like Mary, I'll get the point of Christmas by contemplating on God's word, by contemplating on God's word. Psalm 25, 5, guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my savior, and my hope is in you all day long. You are my savior. You guide me. You teach me. You, your truth is what ultimately directs my life. When, with Mary, we saw words like treasure and, and pondered. What does that look like for you? I mean, I can be honest with you, I've been on this journey long enough that I remember the day when I said to somebody, the Bible says, then they immediately paid attention because they wanted to know what the Bible said on any given subject. So well, what does the Bible say? Because that's the owner's manual. That's the instruction booklet that God gave us for living. And so tell me what the book says, because I want to live according to the book, to the word, the Bible, God's word, God's love letter to us. But all too often we run across people now who will say, well, thank you for telling me what the Bible says is the truth, but now I have to go find, what's the expression? My truth. As though there are multiple truths. As though one plus one might equal two for you, but it might equal two and a half for you. I I'm sorry, one plus one is two. Truth is truth, and the word of God is truth true. And that's been in my heart for a very long time. Quite frankly, those of you who have been a part of the bridge for a long time know that Pastor Farrell talked about it. Our previous pastor talked about it a great deal in those last days that he was here as, as our leader. And Kim and I were, were owners here and just part of the church family and listened to him to talk about it. And I caught his vision and I caught his burden for this. And that is to help our people go deeper into the word of God. We are thrilled about the number of people who make their, 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 their claim, who, who stake their claim, who step across the the line of faith who give their lives to Christ every year in this place, 100, 200, 300 people a year give their lives to Christ through the ministries of the bridge. And we're thrilled about that. And we, we always want to celebrate baptisms and all the amazing things that God is doing here. But hear me, guys, we got a whole lot of people that have committed their lives to Christ, but the abundant life, the fulfilling life is still kind of out of reach. Because Jesus said, when you know the truth and you follow the truth, that's when the truth will set you free. So this year, we've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes. The whole team has been working together to develop what we're calling the growth track. And starting in 2021, we're going to be providing a discipleship process for this church um, that will walk you through a three-year journey to build a foundation in the Word of God, to establish the next level of understandings in the Word of God and then going deeper into the Word of God. And for, for a three-year process, you're going to go through track one, track two, track three, and I hope you're already getting excited about being a part of that journey because at the end of the day, we want to treasure the Word of God. We want to ponder the Word of God. We want to rehearse the Word of God. We want to live by the Word of God. And so we've been training this 
this fall. Some of you are in the room. We've trained 22 leaders to help teach those small groups. They're going to be bridge groups, but they're going to be walking through this curriculum that walks you through the process of getting into the Word of God. We'll give you a lot more details in January. We're going to start in February, but what's the goal? At the end of the day, the goal is that we get the point. And the point is that contemplating on God's word brings life, brings life. Like Joseph, our commitment is to cooperate with God's will. Like Mary, we're going to contemplate God's word, and I hope you'll get into those training processes as we do. Like Joseph, we're going to cooperate with God's uh, will. Frankly, no matter how unlikely it seems. I'm going to do God's will for my life this year. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, very well-known passage of Scripture in many circles. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and what? Lean. We're going to slow down and say this out loud. Lean not on your own understanding. In some of your ways, in the eternal ways, but not necessarily the day-to-day -day ways. Stop me when I get to the right word. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. And what does all include when you see the word all in the Bible? What does that mean? Everything. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Believe in him. Put your faith in him. Don't lean in your own understanding. Hear me. No one is suggesting when you become a Christian, you turn your brain off. This is an intelligent faith. It makes more sense than most of the junk that's out there. Okay? Nobody's saying turn your brain off. But God said we live by faith, not by explanation. And there are times when you're not going to have an explanation. But you trust him. You know who he is. You're not leaning on your understanding. You're not leaning on an explanation. You're understanding on your faith in God's word because you have learned God's word. And without it, the junk that this world throws at us is almost impossible to overcome. Can I just be real personal for a second? When Kim and I put that nail on the tree, it became that moment, that reminder of the cradle and the cross. My mind immediately went to those that have gone on before. The older you get, you know, the more treasure you have on the other side than you do here. And so all of, all of both of our grandparents are on the other side. Both of my parents, Kim's dad, on the other side. Our oldest son on the other side. That nail takes on a lot more significance year by year by year. And I'm begging you, let it be significant now so that when the inevitable junk of living in a sin-cursed world comes, it won't rock your faith because your faith's not based in understanding. It's based in the truth that God's word is true. You often have to get past it to look past and say, oh, now I see what he's doing but it doesn't come by explanation. It comes by faith. And sometimes God's going to tell you to do some things that's not going to make sense in the moment. 
The question only is, will I cooperate with God's will for my life? Can I tell you that one of my highest goals, we're going to take a Sunday in January and just talk about visions for the year, but I'll tell you now, one of my highest goals for us as the church family in 2021, first is that we will learn the Word of God, ponder the Word of God, treasure the Word of God. Second is that we will begin to cooperate with God's will in our lives. We'll start to step out of our comfort zone at levels we never have before, and we'll stretch to whole new places in Him because there are so many things that need to be done and so many lives that need to be touched and so many ministries that need to be accomplished that as long as we're holding back and thinking and waiting until it makes sense to step out then we're never going to accomplish what God's called us to do my goal for you is that you stretch your comfort zone in 2021 goal for me that my comfort zone gets stretched in 2021 and some of you know my history my comfort zone is pretty big (laughs) but I'm praying that he stretches it well, Pastor Jim, I hear that, and, and I want to do God's will for my life, but I, I just, I don't know what God's will for my life is. Well, I can tell you. You, you want to know what God's will for your life is? Anybody want to know? I, I can tell you in a word right here. Come on. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 9, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. You know what God's will is for your life? that you'd be like Jesus. That's his will. You know, when, when he said in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of everybody everywhere, baptize them and teach them, what more do you need to know what God's will is for your life? It's to be like Jesus and then go make disciples. That's God's will for your life. Well, should I take this job or this job? I don't know. Which one will help you become more like Jesus and spread the good news? Well, they're about the same. Then pick the one you want. <laughs> God's will for your life It's not arduous. It's not painful. It it doesn't always make logical sense, just like with Joseph. But it always moves you toward becoming more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And none of us have arrived, so we all got room to grow. Can I get one amen in the room? Yeah, I got no problems getting amens on that one. We all got room to grow. So the key for Mary was to contemplate. For Joseph, it was to cooperate, and I beg you, Cooperate with God's call next year. Commit to it now. Number three, the shepherds got the point by celebrating God's presence. By celebrating God's presence, Psalm, 1, Psalm 16, 11, you will teach me how to live a holy life. Being with you will fill me with joy. Being with you will fill me with joy. At your right hand, I will find pleasure forever. More, if there's ever been a time that we need to remember that passage, it's the days that we're living in joy is not Pfizer's vaccine has finally been approved. (laughs) Joy is living in the presence of God no matter what circumstances are going on in our lives. Walking in his presence fills me with joy, especially at uncertain times. Well, Jim, you don't understand what's going on in my life. You don't know the details. You don't know the the hardships that I'm facing. I know. I I don't. But I know Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through a very dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death, King James calls it, I will not be afraid because you are with me. The Lord's put it on my heart. We're going to spend six weeks in 23rd Psalm next year. And we're just to understand what that even means 
to have the Lord as our shepherd. But that's the point, guys. Emmanuel, God with us. God wants a relationship with you. He sent his son Jesus Christ to pay the price for your sin and mine so that we can have a relationship with the holy God. That's the point, and it's something to get excited about and ultimately to be in relationship with day by day, moment by moment. I gotta close, but there's one more group. They were the wise men, and what do the wise men do? You remember? They dedicated themselves to this journey. Listen, no matter what, what, how long it takes, no matter how hard it is, I'm going to dedicate my life to worshiping the Savior. I'm going to give him my best. No games, no pretenses, no half-hearted worship for me. I'm going no matter what. I'm all in. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I love the way the Living Bible paraphrases it. And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind he can accept. Here's the sentence. I want you to read it with me. Is that on the screens? Here we go. When you think, come on, when you think of what he has done for you. Is this too much to ask? Read it with me. When you think of what he's done for you, is this too much to ask? Well, you know, if, if God would fill my bank account where I wasn't so financially stressed, then I would give my life to him. Uh, if God would heal this disease in my body, then I would give my life to him. If God would restore this relationship that's broken with this person, then I would give. What, what is it that Jesus, I mean, given what he's already done for you on Calvary, what is it that Jesus needs to do? to be worthy of you giving your life to him. What else? When eternal life is available to you simply because of what Jesus has done, I submit to you that he ain't gonna do nothing else. He does, loves to give good gifts to his children, but he doesn't have to do anything else to be worthy of my life or yours. I gotta close. You, you've probably seen or heard of the Neiman Marcus catalog, Neiman Markup, I call it. <laughs> the slogan of the catalog is for the person who has everything, right? Some of you have a hard time buying gifts for people in your life because they don't need anything. You just go, well, what do you need? I can not need anything. If I need something, I'll go get it. You know, it's just kind of, we're blessed. But what are you going to give Jesus for his birthday? I mean, you do remember it's his birthday we're celebrating. It's not ours. It's, what are you going to give him for his birthday? Well, what could I possibly give Jesus? He's, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's God. <laughs> What do you give the person who has everything already? The truth is Jesus doesn't have everything unless you give it to him. He doesn't have your contemplation unless you choose to give it to him. He doesn't have your cooperation. He's a gentleman. He's given you free will. He doesn't have your cooperation unless you choose to give it to him. He doesn't have your celebration unless you choose to become a worshiper. 
He doesn't have your dedication unless you say, I will follow you, period. Wherever that leads is where it leads. I will follow you. And you don't have to stand in line at a cash register to give him that. You can do it right here, right now. Right here, right now. Give him the birthday gift that he's worthy of. Give him your life. You ready? You ready to pray that prayer? Bow your heads. Let's pray it together. You pray it silently. Pray it aloud. Maybe you've prayed this prayer many times before. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this before. I don't know. But in this moment, you're understanding that the point of Christmas is that a holy God saw you and me, sinful men and women, and said, I want a relationship with you. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you're here saying, thank you, Jesus, for making it possible for me to have a relationship with God. Thank you. Forgive me for thinking so much about what I'm going to get without stopping to realize what I really ought to give my life is yours, Jesus. Father, you see who's praying, you know what's going on in their thoughts right now. Would you give us the assurance that you've heard our prayer? The quietness of this moment. Speak life, fresh starts, new beginnings, dynamic relationships with you into our hearts. In Jesus' name.